You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to my first show. Today's guest is possibly the most hilarious human of the news world, the podcast world, the literary world, and the Broadway world. And that is my dear pal, Mo Rocca. Mo. Eva. I'm so happy to be here with you. I really am. I'm so happy you're here with me. You have had quite a year um, well, I think we well, we've certainly all had quite the last few months, but yeah, I've had a, I've had, I've had a, I've had a, a busy, crowded hour type year. I was moving around maybe more than I ever had before. I'd spent a good chunk of time before then um, co-authoring a book, um, part of a project I did called Mobituaries that I'm um, that has been really meaningful to me. Looking at the the lives of um, people and things that didn't get the send off they deserved the first time. My version of obituaries. It's, it's handy when your first name is Mo. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so, so I, I'm still trying to make sense of it all, but it, it I, I will say it's, it's a little head spinning to have spent all this time before a pandemic um, talking about appreciating the lives of, of people who have passed on. Um, and then, now in this period when there are a whole lot of people dying. So it's, it's a, it's, I, I'm not, I'm not quite sure that I can sum up how I feel about it all. Yeah. I, it sounds to me like you knew something that the rest of us didn't when you wrote this book. It's uh, strangely prophetic, which I, I don't know if you've thought about that throughout all this as, the, as though the things you had been thinking about and questioning um, are more relevant for this time than almost anything else. You know, I, I will say this. I mean, a, a good obituary is really about um, someone's life, not about their death, which is why I was drawn to this project. Um, I'm not really all that interested in how people die. I'm frankly more interested in in, in their beginnings and how th- the values of their lives were shaped. Um, but one of the things aside from all the lives being lost right now that that is that I'm kind of tuned into is um, the rituals and the institutions and the things that are going away um, 
in every obituary, there is that little section, that little sort of history graph, um, you know, obviously about the person's about the person's upbringing or or their origins. And now I read articles like about the post office and there's a, you know, and hanging in the balance. And there's that little graph in the middle that says the post office was the brainchild of Benjamin Franklin in the 1770s. And it kind of breaks my heart because it reads like a pre-obit and it's almost, it has a little bit that, that, that kind of shakes me a little bit about these, these things and that we take for granted um, these institutions, um, you know, that might go away. So, so you're right. So, so much right now is teetering on the edge. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's, that's the thing that makes me sad each day because, you know, you don't, you don't think twice about Victoria's Secret or, (laughs) uh, Bed, bed, Bath and Body Works, which is a right. story I was reading today. Or you, do, you, you just don't think twice about the institutions that were on your street corner that you walked by a million times and took for granted. And now everything is on the edge. Um, I just I find it fascinating that you've been fascinated by this idea and the stories behind it for for so long, and it just feels so so relevant right now. Well, we are here to talk about joyful things. And not necessarily <laughs> things at the end of their existence, um, even though we may, we all may be uh, in that space. Um, we're we're here to talk about our love of of theater and the things mm-hmm. that inspired us and the things that made us who we are. And um, you know what what I've always loved about watching you, Mo, is everything you do feels like a story being told. Um, your your pieces on CBS Sunday Morning, the 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 way you um, the way you play because it's a game. Uh, wait, wait, don't tell me. Um, and you know, just knowing you, um, you are a master storyteller, and I I have to bet that some of this was born out of a little a little version of Mo. Molito, if we if we may, <laughs> yeah, sure, I love that. <laughs> and and you know those humble beginnings. So if you don't mind, we're going to dive into the the four questions that that are the germ of my first show. And that first question is, what was the first show you ever saw? The first show I ever saw was Showboat. A revival, obviously. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm older now, not that old. Um, and it was at, um, it toured the country and came to Washington, D.C. I was raised in the Maryland suburbs right outside of D.C. And I knew that my father loved the music of Jerome Kern and loved Showboat. So we, um, we went to see this production. It starred Eddie Bracken, who was a big star, I think, in the golden age of Hollywood. Um, and Lainey Kazan, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm pretty sure she played Julie. Um, and we sat, I think in the second balcony. And I seem to remember, by the way, they called it first balcony, second balcony. And then they switched up that nomenclature so that the people in the second balcony didn't feel like they were in the stratosphere. Right. That they were a million miles away, but this was the second balcony. It was far <laughs> away. Was it the loge? Is that what they called it? <laughs> right. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and the, um, um, and uh, and I was 11 years old. So this is the first professional show I saw. Um, and I just remember 
seeing how moved my father was. So um, I think I liked the show and I loved the music, but what I really loved was watching how moved my father was by the show. He was so excited to see this show. um, And um, he was moved to tears by Old Man River, by the whole <laughs> song, um, and uh, and just delighted and was, but really more than delighting in it. And he delighted in the lot. And delight is something I love. I think delight and the word delightful is very underrated. Um, and 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 um, being delightful is an underrated virtue. Um, but he more than delighted. He was moved by it. And and so yeah, that was that. I think had um, made an impact on me. I know it did. Did you see him differently then as a kid, as you continued to to grow up in his house and observe him? Well, certainly his his love of that music um, made what – yeah, that's a great question. I think I'm more likely to describe my father – as a sensitive person, as having been a sensitive person, which he really was deeply sensitive and, and, and valued that in his children and, and tried to cultivate that, um, nurture it. Um, but that, that show really brought that out, that experience. And I really appreciated it and understood it. It wasn't just a word, you know, it's good to be sensitive. I think my father used to say like, you're a sensitive boy. And I like that. Um, but that I, I wasn't quite sure what that meant. But I think seeing him react to that show and to that music, um, I understood what it meant. Did you find that old classic American musicals like the Jerome Kern musicals, the R&H musicals really stuck with you because of that first musical? They did. I had older parents, which I always liked. And I was aware of that from an early point in life, that my, my mother's from Columbia um, so she didn't grow up with American pop culture at all. Um, but um, to, my father was too old for Elvis, right? He was So he was somebody who grew up loving Bing Crosby and loving the crooners of that era um, and loving what, what would become known as the great American songbook. So those composers. Um, and so I had an appreciation for that early on, whereas I think a lot of kids would go, black and white, you know, when they would see a movie and, and wouldn't want to watch <laughs> it because of that. You know, I definitely preferred color, but, um, <laughs> um, but although we didn't have a color TV for a while, actually. So we did. So I still remember a black and white TV. But um, um, uh, the first two um, cassette tapes of shows that I got um, for Christmas when I when I was getting very much into Broadway were Evita and Oklahoma. However, mm. the mistake that my parents made and I forgive them because we have to forgive our parents. you know <laughs> people people make mistakes, fathers, mothers, people make mistakes and this mistake, was giving me the soundtrack recording of Oklahoma. It wasn't the original cast recording. It was the movie. That's a big mistake, actually. And I can even remember unwrapping the two cassette tapes. And some cassettes were really cool, right? It was it was cooler to have a little cassette than it was to have an LP before LPs came back. Um, And and 
And I remember even at the time, my heart sinking a little, but knowing not to betray my ingratitude and my, my frustration. <laughs> um, and, uh, but anyway, but I have nothing against Shirley Jones and Gordon McRae. They were great, but I did love those, those Rogers and Hammerstein musicals early. Um, yeah. And and that was and, and and that was because of his love of of that music. And, yeah. and I, as I said, I think my parents' age. So yeah, so I was tuned into to that pretty early, the classic musicals. I love that you were such a cultural snob at age nine or whatever that that you knew the difference between an original cast recording and a soundtrack recording, and why one was lesser. And but Eva, I wish that Alexa understood that. <laughs> if you ask Alexa, she doesn't really understand the distinction. She That's treats them she treats them interchangeably. Or sometimes she'll say she'll say something like she'll um she'll say something like Music Man, original soundtrack recording, or uh, she she doesn't she doesn't adhere to the strict division in, in jargon. That it's well, that, either that is a, a problem. Yeah. So I think she's really got to get, she needs more gay friends. <laughs> I was going to say, I think she needs an afternoon with Seth Rudetsky to truly understand the difference. I <laughs> feel like, she, I feel that. like Alexa showed up at Marie's crisis, like years after it was cool. Right? <laughs> it, it's still cool. Don't get me wrong. But Alexa showed up with a bunch of friends from NYU. <laughs> and they weren't, and like with straight couples, like when, remember at one point, I think Chelsea Clinton was going yeah. and they, it was yeah. getting in the paper, but Alexa didn't even know what Marie's crisis was. She probably thought it was a medical condition, you know, <laughs> back when it was really only for hardcore gay musical theater lovers. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's the perfect synthesis of, of what's wrong with Alexa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, Alexa thinks because she got tickets to Hamilton, she knows everything <laughs> she knows about musical theater. theater. <laughs> exactly. When it's she's dating someone in private equity. <laughs> maybe she's in private equity. Sorry. She, 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 was. She, 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 she was. She was. <laughs> she was before she got into new media. Exactly. And, and eavesdropping. <laughs> Oh my God! Please do your mo next mobitry on the inspiration for Alexa, whoever that might be. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, amazing. Um, so let's talk about the first show you were in, and this can be really as minor as um, early as un you know unformed of a of a show, um, but just the first time, little. I'm going to go back. Molito <laughs> walked on stage and saw the footlights and realized he was being observed by an audience. I love Molito sounds like either a coffee maker or a, a Nabokov parody. <laughs> I think it's both actually. <laughs> so, um, um, the, um, um, well, this is very, this is unformed. Um, I spent, the first three years of, of my schooling in a Catholic grammar school, right, pretty much right next door to where I grew up, uh, called Little Flower. And there was, I guess it was probably a Christmas, a Christmas pageant, right? A sort of a retelling of kind of the nativity story, um, held on the stage of basically the lunchroom of, of Little Flower School. Uh, and I was one of the three wise men and, um, what I do remember very distinctly is being told um, to project 
to, you know, to make sure that the audience could hear. And I had one line and I, it was like winding up for a, for, for a pitch. I mean, I just, I, um, I think I probably just inhaled very deeply and I shouted the line and the line was, let us go, let us go. And I can hear myself at the time, I sort of had one of those experiences where you kind of step outside of yourself because it, it felt, and frankly, it felt like a big coming out, right? Because <laughs> I was hearing my voice projected so loudly and there was laughter, which I wasn't going for. And I can't say that it's one of these things where like that laughter from that moment I knew. It wasn't that. It was both thrilling and embarrassing at the same time and exposing um, and um, – because I think the other kids weren't projecting. And I don't know if I was gold, Frank, I don't know if I was gold, frankincense or myrrh. Um, I think I probably at the time wanted you were to be myrrh. gold. Let's be honest. I was probably myrrh. And I love myrrh just because it's spelled in such a weird way. M-Y-R-R-H. Um, I think people go through stages. At first you want to be gold. And then frankincense probably reminds you, reminds you of Frankenberry, the cereal. But right. then myrrh is just is ultimately kind of cool and understated and mysterious. And no one knows what it is. Um, and I'm not going to Google it now because I don't want to make sound on this recording. Um, the... Um, but anyway, I was one of the three wise men, and and that was it. And um, and then I think what happened was I, I was after that I was I was definitely the class clown as the years went by. Um, I switched to public school, the great public schools in Montgomery County, Maryland, and I was in. Um, what was called chorus. And I think it just, which was actually a class, I guess it wasn't an extracurricular at, um, Pyle junior high. And I think I kind of intentionally sang in a loud jokey way. I didn't, wasn't taking it seriously because I, I think I thought that was my role to be kind of a goof about it. And then I, um, I made friends with a girl. She was really cool. She was so cool. She had a sideways ponytail and she's <laughs> so, which was really, really kind of cool at that time. And, um, named Janelle Lorenz, really great person. And she, she said, I think you, I think you have talent and I'm part of this after school kind of private, not private. It was, but, but it was an after school organization, um, doing theater and the theater was, was primarily Gilbert and Sullivan. And so right off the bat, I ended up being Rafe Rackstraw in, in HMS Pinafore and Frederick and the Pirates of Penzance. And it was called, um, the Bethesda Academy of Performing Arts. It's now grown into a really formidable, um, uh, theater, children's theater and education, um, uh, institution called imagination stage in, uh, in, in Bethesda, Maryland. Yeah. yeah. So it's really, but, it, but, but it, it's, it's the, the, in its embryonic stage, it was, um, two really great women, um, named, uh, Marcia Smith and Bonnie Fogel running, um, something called the Bethesda Academy of Performing Arts. And I, I then I started taking it seriously, um, rather than just thinking it was, um, about getting attention and, and, and being clownish. Although yeah. there's a lot to be said for class clowns who do it right. I Listen, I think they're the people we all remember from, right. from, from right. our upbringing. I mean, I was a bit of a class clown and I'm proud of it. And I think that, you know, when that 
when your alumni Facebook group, you know, sends something out and, and about you or, or talks about, um, you know, memories from, from growing up, the, the class clown has, has a memory for everybody. So I think that's great that, that that's your beginning. Well, you know, my, my, my father did something. I'll never get over this. When I was in sixth grade at Woodacres Elementary, really great public school. And, um, I was, my behavior was so kind of outrageous and wacky in the classroom that my parents were called in and I think it was either the principal or the guidance counselor explained the problem and and my father turned to me in front of you know these the, these disciplinarians and said um it's not right to be the class clown you shouldn't be the class clown unless you're going to make a profession of it <laughs> and I couldn't and I remember at the time thinking this is this is, I remember at the time appreciating how remarkable and kind of wacky this was that he would say this, but it really sank in. I mean, he, you know, and I think he was thinking of Johnny Carson, who he loved, but yeah. he was basic, but I, what a lesson to impart. And I, I can't, I don't remember how the, the principal or guidance counselor reacted, but it couldn't have been a good reaction. <laughs> But how formative, right? Because you all heard that and you thought, huh. <laughs> yeah, I think he was wise. Yeah. yeah, I think he was wise enough to say, if there's something raw there, shape it into something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's a brilliant message. Um, I, love, I love learning about all sides of your father. What a reflective, aware man, um, yeah, both from, yeah. from his love of showboat and his awareness of you. Yeah, I think that's right. I'm lucky. Um, a word I don't love. I don't love the word yeah. lucky, but because I, I like to use it very selectively. Yeah, yeah. But in that case, I'm lucky. Yeah, yeah. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Your first paid professional show, Mo, and this can be anything as well. You could have been on a crew or a props guy or an usher. Hopefully it's a, 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 a role you played, but tell us about that. Um, I'm going to um, – I was paid not in money but in – room and board um, and it was the um <laughs> that's payment it was the, that's payment absolutely and it was the college light opera company in uh west falmouth massachusetts i hope i have that right it might just be falmouth but on cape cod um it was the summer after my sophomore year of college and it was i believe 
we did 11 shows um, in basically 13 weeks. It, 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 it is just a magical memory of hard work and fun. And that's where I think I really learned, even if I wasn't aware of it at the time, that hard work and fun go together. I once interviewed Laura Linney and we both agreed. I was interviewed her for Arrive magazine, you know, the magazine of Amtrak. We both were like, we both were like, why is this happening? Why am I an interviewer for the Amtrak magazine? And what? And she, and she was sort of like, yeah, I suppose I love trains, but anyway, (laughs) it was great. But it was, it was a great conversation. She said, you know, she, she said, you know, I, I can't stand when people go, oh, just go out there and have fun, have fun. And like, they make that hand gesture, like go out there and have fun. And it's sort of meaningless. And, and it's it's also kind of wrong-handed because real fun is well only fun because there's a lot of work that's gone into it or preparation. I mean, sure, you don't want to feel like you're working while you're having the fun, but it's the work that goes before it that makes the fun fun. And I, I really learned that at College Light Opera Company. It's called Clock, and you would rehearse. You would rehearse. Um, you would perform one show at night and during the day you were rehearsing the next week's show. And I can remember almost all the shows and, um, and at the same time, by the way, that you were doing cleanup chores and cooking um, <laughs> for the rest of the, of the company. Um, so I was, some of the roles were small, like the judge and hello Dolly, uh, Merlin and Camelot. Some were bigger like Jeff and Brigadoon, Heinze and pajama game, hysterium in forum, which I loved. Um, I did my third production of, of Pinafore. Um, I think I was the modern major general in that one. Uh, the Gondoliers, there was an opera, a French operetta called Paracol. Um, there were, I mean, I, I, I can remember almost all of them. Um, but, and it was grueling. I, I lost weight. Um, parents <laughs> of a friend of mine came and they, 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 they were worried. They said, can we take you out for a real dinner? But I just, I loved it. And, um, and many years later, when I was on Broadway in the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, after having been in television for many years, I remember my first, I was a replacement um, as the vice principal panch. And I remember James Lapine, the very first note session I sat in and, you know, the notes, James is tough. They weren't, yeah. you know, and, and he and even though they were tough notes, some of them for me, I'm happy to report not many, not that many tough ones for me, but uh, in, in this case. Um, but I remember I had this feeling and I went, what is this feeling that I'm having? And it was almost like a sense memory of the feeling I had had, boy, over, you know, maybe 20 years or more you know, about before in um, at the College Light Opera Company, which was this feeling of kind of, 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 of hard work and fun and getting it right that that you have when you're putting together a show and it just it's I suddenly was reconnected to that feeling that I had that's really interesting because you spend your time now studying investigating reporting on things that have weight to them, that have a serious nature. Sure. They're part of CBS sure. Monday Morning. They're part of your obituaries podcast and your book. And, and you know, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is about news and the current events. Yet everything you're doing 
the way you do it, your tone, your style, your aesthetic is fun. It has levity. It has a, a clever wink. And it's interesting to me. I just assumed you're a comedian inside. That's why you're, you're a serious intellect with a comedic flair. But it sounds like even just hearing your stories about when you were a kid and you did, you did these shows. And, you know, I, I, I actually want to get into, you know, what, what it was like growing up and, and how you were, how you were in, in, in the neighborhood and in your family and, and, you know, what sort of led to this comedic intellect mashup. Um, but, you know, what, where do you think that came from? Like, why is it that, that the work, and the fun actually are in a handshake with everything you do. Um, I boy, it's um. Well, I think I think a few things. I, uh, why are they together? I think. I mean, look, I'd never. I always think it's more satisfying to watch somebody, and it's funnier when they're when they're good at what they're doing. Even for instance. I think it was maybe The Mask, not a great movie, but a, a Jim Carrey movie. And I remember, was it was it in that like a sequence? Maybe where he and Cameron Diaz are are dancing, and it certainly occurred to me this is funny because they're good at it. It's mm. not funny to be bad at something. <laughs> like that's not. It usually doesn't end up being funny, right? And, yeah, you're on your own with that memory. I haven't seen that movie. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and I might be, and I really might be misremembering, but, um, but, um, um, I'm not even sure if that's a real word, but yeah. So, um, I, I don't, I, I can't, I mean, I can't say that like I grew up in a house where, you know, excellence was a, was a premium. I think it was, I think we were, um, I think it, it, I, yeah, I think it was. And, uh, um, I, I don't, I think also, um, I mean, also I'm still, I'm still figuring it out. Right. I don't, if, 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 you know, my tax return, I'm never quite sure what to call myself. And (laughs) I think unless you're one of those, those few, those fortunate few who know exactly what they want to be doing, I kind of enthusiasm is kind of my driver. I just sort of figure, okay, well, let's try this next thing and go at it full steam ahead um and yeah and i and i think you yeah i mean uh, boy when i do my pieces now for sunday morning it's interesting because i you know um one of the things i've learned is the to do a, a decent and adequate piece i mean it takes hard work but to really push through to push through to <clears throat> um it's, it's, it's that last 10% is almost 90% of the work to elevate it from being a piece that feels like a Wikipedia entry to a piece that feels like, wow, I got something out of this. that's going to stay with me. So I don't know where that comes from. Maybe I just learned it along the way, but, um, yeah, to, to make, um, to make anything really, really good. Um, requires a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And why not have fun while you're doing it? Yeah. I, I know I, ha- I have a tidbit here. I, I, I've, I've trouble wrapping my head around it cause it feels so impossible, but that you pursued a career in gymnastics. 
at one point? Well, so I, um, my dot, my, my kind of pop culture, and really it, it, it was so formative diet when I was growing up were cast albums, um, television, mostly sitcoms. So there were some hour long dramas thrown in and the world book encyclopedia and the, and, and the three things that those all have in common are, um, you do them indoors, right? So mm-hmm. I was indoors all the time. I was the youngest of, I am the youngest of three brothers. Um, and our neighbor didn't believe that there was a third brother. She thought that she, when, when my middle brother said he had a younger brother, she didn't believe it because I never went outside. I think my <laughs> parents realized at one point that that was not a good thing. Um, and they couldn't control the, 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 um, the flow of sugary cereals into the house. And so to be indoors eating sugary cereals and watching TV, I mean, that's just a, that's a disaster waiting to happen. What do you do with all that hyperactive what? energy? So, um, long story short, eventually my mother, and it was, and I'm grateful for it. It was a tough love. Um, basically, threw me out of the house, like into the yard, that is not like, <laughs> you've got to spend time outside. And I, I think this she is actually a, tossed the, you. Did she like lift you up and like elevate uh, you over there? Yeah, pretty much. Front I mean, I think, yeah, I think that, and this is the days be- before vitamin D supplements were readily available. So she knew like, you got to get some sunlight. Um, and so I became a self-taught gymnast. I just loved you know, I think it's just, uh, you know, your, your birthright as a, as a, a gay boy to be like transfixed by gymnastics and figure skating. And so I just loved watching gymnastics. And so I started teaching myself gymnastics. I'm hyperextended. I'm very flexible. Um, and yeah, and even though I was tall and, um, I, um, I taught myself how to do an aerial cartwheel. Um, I never taught myself how to do an unassisted back handspring, um, but I could do walkovers front and back. And uh, um, so, yes, and eventually I became one of the um, first two boys on the Woodacres gymnastics team. So I feel like I broke the spandex ceiling there. <laughs> and um, I didn't like being one of two, I have to admit. And so with, with apologies to Javier Ortiz, who was a really nice guy, um, you know, I think I was pretty competitive with him because I really <laughs> wanted to be the standout of, of, of the, of the trailblazers. You wanted to be one of one. That's what you wanted. Yeah. I didn't want to be one of the, the first two. Eh, you want to be the first. Yeah. 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 No, I get it. Oh. And where's Javier now? Right. Is he still gymnastic? Oh, exactly. Now? Well, you know, I did a terrible thing to him once and I have to, and I'm admitting this, admitting this now for the first time at recess, Javier, who was Uruguayan, he, he could actually do a back handspring. Um, but he still wanted a spot. And I just remember him going, more spot me, spot me, spot me. And I put my hand at the small of his back. And then just as he was getting ready to do the back handspring, I pulled my hand out. You let go? It was like, total, like a total Salieri move. I just couldn't bear for him to do the first unassisted back handspring by a boy in the Woodacres gymnastics program. Um, and then he fell on his head. He was fine. It's not like he broke his neck, but, um, but lesson learned because he went on to be able to do like, I think a round off like three back handsprings unassisted. So, uh, you know, whatever, 
whatever ha- scheme. Uh, yeah, like the, the, it wasn't even. It's my feeble attempt at foul play didn't even work. <laughs> you couldn't even do that right. Right. <laughs> you couldn't even do evil right. Um, th- that's amazing. So, um, dream time. We we love we love to hear about not just the past, but if the future was wide open. And I believe now of all times it is. What would be the dream role? and dream show and dream scenario for you? Um, this is a tough one for me because I'm torn between making easy choices. Um, I know you're like, it's a pretty simple question, but, it, but, but, but I think it's never tough. St- I'm with you. I agree. This is tough. It, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I loved being hysterium in forum and I loved doing um being Seymour in Little Shop and um ev- who do- of course now everybody loves being Seymour in Little Shop because everybody has been Seymour in Little Shop by this point um but those are two roles that I loved I just had a great experience doing um other roles like uh, of of shows that I love um I and it's not a musical I love our I mean I love our town we were talking about at the beginning of our discussion about things that are slipping away and sort of the tragedy that you can't, you can't appreciate everything as it's slipping away. Right. That's one of the lessons I think of our town. Like you can't, you, you go insane if you were recording and appreciating every single moment of life. It's an impossibility. And that itself is kind of a tragedy, but I'd love I love to play Our Town so much. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's one of my favorite pieces I've ever done for CBS Sunday Morning was a piece about David Cromer's production, oh, great production so at the good. Barrow Street Theater. So and good. I'd love to be the stage manager, I think, in that or pretty much any role in that. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I, I, could, I couldn't be pretty much every role. But I think the stage manager is is pretty great. I'd love to um, be the man in chair and um, mm-hmm. in the drowsy chaperone of just a – lovely wonderful show um and um but i will say to plug myself here a little bit because i'm always auditioning is um i can i can dance all right i can dance i still got it in me and uh i jazz ballet and tap when i was growing up and uh so so i need to so if if it had to be one role i need a role that packs it all in yeah yeah i I didn't know you. I didn't know you could dance. I love that. I guess as a former gymnast, you're good with your body. Yeah, I can do sort of like exactly a dance tumbling combo. Maybe mm. I should be Barnaby. <laughs> and hello, well, Dolly. Well, I do produce the hip hop Nutcracker every year, so we do need boys that can backflip. I'll. Uh, <laughs> I'll oh, bring you know you what? In in and if I can't, if I can't do it, maybe I can call up Javier and ask him to stop. <laughs> he would actually be perfect. That's true. That's true. Um, so we do a lightning round at the end sure. of every episode that we don't tell you about ahead of time because we want it to be, you know, um, reflective and responsive Good. and organic. Um, and what um, I believe, as I think you do, that a lot of our classic musicals have emotional themes. They're really about something much more than the guy getting the girl. So I want to see how matched you and I are with what I believe are the one word, or we can go up to two or three word, emotional themes of these classic musicals. And we're going to put 
30 seconds or so on the clock. Don't think of it. Just respond. Do you with have a question? One, with, yeah. with one word? One word, two words if you have to. Um, okay. But, of what but, I think the theme is or what it, exactly. what it evokes in me. Okay. That's right. That's right. That's right. Okay. So here we go. Sunday in the Park with George. Um, we do not belong together. Mm-hmm. The Wizard of Oz. Um, oh, uh, 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 dreams and also anti-cat bias, which I can explain later. Into the woods. Um, oh, uh, um, it, I mean, no one is alone. I know that's a title of a song, but that's what it, it, it makes me think of. The Sound of Music. Joy. Dream Girls. Um, heartbreak. South Pacific. Optimism. Hair. Um, uh, uh, restlessness. Evita. Um, power and quasi-fascism. Assassins. A show I wish I knew more and would actually like to be in because I'm a big American history buff on the list of homework assignments. <laughs> Perfect. We'll end there. Um, your, 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 your note about a feline, I do want to hear more about. So before we so wrap the whole up, thing about, the, the thing, of, well, there are a few things about Wizard of Oz. The reason I think the, 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 the Wizard of Oz is so great and burrow has burrowed itself so much into our collective <laughs> psyche is <clears throat> because it's one of those movies like the original King Kong that um, um, looks and feels like a dream, like the kinds of things. And obviously Dorothy's having a dream through most of it, but the way that it looks and the way that it feels and the imagery is the kind of stuff that really would pop up in a dream it's just in the, the original king kong with Fay ray it's so kind of erotic but it's like it's the kind of things you'd wake up and you'd say i had this really weird dream that i was in in the palm of a giant ape i mean like like in, and um but there but um at the beginning when elmira gulch comes to um what's her name the the, the to dorothy's great aunt or her aunt nm of course yeah when she comes to nm she basically says that Toto was antagonizing the cats and her cats and Dorothy had been warned and she could have taken an alternate route. And Dorothy just doesn't give a shit. She doesn't really care. And it's, there really is a weird like anti-cat bias because actually Elmira Gulch has a legitimate complaint. I mean, Dorothy had been warned about this and she just totally flouted it. And I think maybe at the time, maybe in 1939, we were a very pro-dog nation because I know that at that time, it was only in recent years that the number of cats in America, you know, eclipsed the number of dogs. But maybe back then, cats were basically seen as vermin and no one cared. Um, but Dorothy doesn't really have the moral high ground here. Um, and um, I also wonder at the end, when she wakes up, and they're also happy to be together that the order um, t- for the dog to be taken into custody. And unfortunately, this is a terrible thing to be killed. It's not like it's been lifted by a natural disaster. So 
in the sequel, they're going to have to go to court. It's not like this whole thing is over. The only thing I can think of is that the tornado actually killed Elmira Gulch, in which case I don't know if the state is going to proceed with the charges um, and or if the courthouse itself is destroyed and that 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 maybe the order was lost and the county clerk is gone and then maybe they can get past this. But I don't think that the that that. Yeah, anyway, it's not like the law has been suspended and everything and all the judicial proceedings are erased just because there was a tornado. Mo Rocca, you we're gonna bring we're gonna throw back a word from earlier. You are a delight. You are delightful. <laughs> this has delighted me. Um I'm so glad we we were able to connect today and um keep hanging in there and telling stories. My First Show is produced by Josh Altman, MEP, Dory Berenstein, and Alan Seals, and is part of the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode was edited by Derek Gunther. Special thanks to Leslie Papa and Whitney Holden-Gore at Vivacity Media Group. For more info about the podcast, visit bpn.fm backslash myfirstshow. Follow me on Instagram at Eva R. Price. Troubles melt like lemon drops away above the chimney tops. That's where you your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E 
www.thepurpleshow.org because only together we rise.